Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Have you heard you can listen to your favorite news podcasts ad-free? Good news. With Amazon Music, you have access to the largest catalog of ad-free top podcasts included with your Prime membership. To start listening, download the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts. That's amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. This is the Tom Hartman Program. And greetings, my friends, patriots, lovers of democracy, truth and justice, believers in peace, freedom and the American way. The uh, question for today is, will the Maui fires be a wake up call on public power? You know, we saw this with PG&E, right? They wanted to transfer millions, hundreds of millions of dollars out of their profits into the pockets of their CEO, their senior executives and via dividends through their you know, to their investors. And so they cut back on trimming trees and burying power lines in areas where there was big wildfire risk. And the result of that was, among other things, the Paradise Fire and a few others that killed a whole bunch of people in California. PG&E got sued for this. Uh, they're having to pay out something like $5 billion. I mean, just massive amounts in uh, these lawsuits. Well, if the public reporting that we're seeing is accurate, and, and, and keep in mind, this is, this is uh, early times, this is tentative, we really don't know for sure what happened or what caused these fires. But that said, you know, there is video of power lines going down, arcing and, and appearing to ignite fires in, uh, in, in Maui, uh, you know, in, the, in this town and others in Maui. And if that's the case, and, and it's also being reported that Hawaiian Electric, the uh, pretty much sole utility for the entire state, all those islands, that that electric company had no plan to shut off power in the event of high winds, which is nuts. Now, why would that be? Well, you know, there are two kinds, when it comes to power companies, there's two kinds of companies. There are private for-profit companies and there are publicly owned, uh, you know, for the benefit of the people companies. About uh, a quarter of the electricity generated in the United States comes from these publicly owned companies and the rest of it comes from privately owned companies. Uh, you know, when Reagan came into office, it was around 50-50, by the way. There's been a real privatization binge over the last few years. So what's the difference between the two, between a private electric company and a public electric company? Well, the main difference is the incentives. The private electric companies are re essentially required by their corporate charters and, and arguably even by law. I mean, if you look at the, uh, uh, the Dodge versus Ford uh, state Supreme Court uh, case that came out of Michigan back in the 1920s, um, you know, which said that a, a corporation's first obligation is to its shareholders. And this, of course, was, you know, uh, uh, 
uh, Robert Bork's big theory that became kind of the animating principle of the Reagan administration. I write about this in uh, my book on monopolies, The Hidden History of American Monopolies. So private companies are looking at profit. Public companies are looking at what's best for the public. They don't, they don't make a profit, so they don't have to worry about profit. Private companies typically pay their CEOs millions of dollars. Public companies hire good technical people and pay them, you know, 100,000, 200,000, but they, you know, it's not absurd. Private companies typically give less service. When it comes to, actually, when it comes to power companies, then, the, you know, the numbers are in. Um, with regard to uh, the specific uh, private companies, uh, privately owned power companies suffer an average of 150 minutes of lost power a year. For customers of publicly owned power companies, it's only 62 minutes a year. In 2019, fully 40% of all the power generated by publicly owned companies came from renewable sources. Uh, right now, about 49 million Americans, one in seven, I guess not 25%, that would be, what, around 15%, I think, or 12%? I, I can't do that math in my head that fast, but... 49 million Americans, including large cities like Austin, Texas, Nashville, Tennessee, Los Angeles, Seattle, as well as over 2,000 communities across the country, get their power from public power companies. And on average, they return more than 20% more to their communities in, in uh, you know, revenues and, and, and product than do private companies. I mean, it only makes sense. So back in 2015, Hawaiian Electric this privately owned company that runs all the power for all of Hawaii, was talking about selling themselves to a big, a giant utility out of Florida. The deal ultimately fell through, but in the year or so that they were led up to it, uh, 40 legislators and councils, uh, county council members met at the state capitol uh, to come up with legislation on this. They were led by uh, uh, Chair Chris Lee of the Energy Committee uh, in the House, the state house. Uh, a group on Oahu formed was called uh, KULOLO, Keep Our Utility Locally Owned and Locally Operated is what the acronym uh, stands for, but it's also the name of a kind of fudge-like Hawaiian dessert made of taro and coconut. Uh, the city council chair, Ernie Martin, put forward a resolution for a feasibility study. On the Big Island, citizens and legislators formed the Hawaiian Island Energy Cooperative, uh, its members included a whole bunch of uh, well-known names in, in Hawaii, and they even hired a PR firm to sell the idea to citizens. And on Maui, the uh, mayor of the city of Maui, Alan Arakawa, uh, was very serious. He awarded $70,000 to a consulting firm, Guernsey, for a study of the viability of trans transitioning from uh, you know, private electricity to a municipally owned utility. But the deal fell through in 2015. But now, you know, I think it's back. Um, State Senator Angus McKelvey, a Democrat from Maui, was talking about how the privately owned Hawaiian Electric Company, this utility, um, has not been burying cables the way that they should. He said they fight it tooth and nail. Uh, there's zero excuse in my mind why power lines in Lahaina uh, shouldn't be underground now. No amount of money should be a reason not to do it. He says, the consequences of the fire are beyond measure. I hope this will be the mother of all wake-up calls. People need to have comfort that this won't ever happen again. So, you know, I'm saying good luck. Here in Portland, I was actually doing a local show on the air here uh, before my national show uh, on KPOJ here in Portland back 
what, 10 years ago or so, so Sean. Sean was producing both shows at the time. And um, uh, our uh, local electric company was owned by Enron. And Enron was going down in flames. And the electric company was up for sale. And the city of Portland scraped together the asking price. And in fact, they had a little more than the asking price to sweeten the pot. And they wanted to buy the, the, the company from Enron. But Enron refused to sell it to the city because they didn't want it to be, they didn't want this utility to be publicly owned. They wanted it to continue to be in private for-profit hands. It's the, the kind of an ideological thing, I guess, because they, they actually got less money, I, if my recollection is correct, than they would have gotten from the city of Portland. But, you know, hey, they didn't have to sell it to a city. So Portlanders got screwed. I mean, we've, we've had, we just are constantly having power failures and power outages here. Um, our neighborhood had a terrible one just a little while ago, and, and they strung a temporary high-tension line um, through the trees. I mean, they actually screwed it into one of the trees in our neighborhood to give power to our, our little neighborhood, our 22 homes. And, uh, you know, now we're just holding our breath when the winter winds come. I mean, this is what happens. But PGE, which is the, now the for-profit company here in Portland, has to come up with $6.2 in annual compensation for its CEO. And Last year, paid $158 million in dividends, so, you know, they can't afford to upgrade my neighborhood. Uh, this is why Hawaii needs to move on this fast, before the for-profit companies start circling around Hawaiian Electric, because their stock, which had been trading between $30 and $40 a share for a decade or more, is now trading at $15, $13 a share it was yesterday. And Wells Fargo just issued a report saying they expect it to go to $8 a share. At that price... Hawaii could buy their power company and get it for a, a discount. It would be cheaper than what it's worth. And the reason why the, the, the stock is in the tank is because they're expecting billions of dollars in lawsuits from people who died in the fires, just like happened to PGE. So now is the perfect time to make this transition for the state of Hawaii to buy this power company and make the transition from private for-profit power to publicly owned uh, electricity. Do you have a private electric company or a public electric company? What's your experience been? We can talk about that and other things. Bill in Hawaii. Hey, Bill. Where in Hawaii are you? Hi, uh, Oahu. Oh, okay. So what's up? Um, I'm laid up a little bit, so I, I was watching C-SPAN yesterday. Mm -hmm. And uh, all these thoughtful people, how to deal with the wildfires, and Joe Manchin is the chairman of energy and natural resources for our country. And he just glibly said, harvest all the forests, sell the timber, make money. What's the problem? Done deal. <laughs> and Joe Manchin, like the, the senator from West Virginia, the, the oil baron or the, the coal baron. I mean, he could care less. Yeah. And it's just, and he's the chairman of energy and natural resources for our country. I know. For, well, he's the chairman of the Senate Committee on Energy and Natural Resources. But yeah, I, I, I totally understand what you're saying, Bill. Joe Manchin is a, is a curse on America in some ways. I mean, yeah, I'll take him being a Democrat and voting to make sure that Chuck Schumer is leading the Senate. Um, it's better than nothing, but uh, I would be very surprised if Joe Manchin's still in the Senate in 2025. He just wants to be rich. Yeah, well, and he, and he is rich. He's worth hundreds of millions of dollars. And he got that with his, uh, with his coal money. 
Yeah. Or maybe tens of millions. Well, I, don't, I don't know. But thank you for everything you do, Thomas. Thank you, Bill. Thank you. Wonderful. Good, good talking with you. I appreciate your kind, kind words. So geoengineering sounds like a quick fix. Uh, generally speaking, I mean, geoengineering covers a lot of territory from planting trees to putting iron filings in the ocean to putting giant umbrellas up in the stratosphere or lower than that to injecting aerosols, reflective aerosols into the upper atmosphere. There's a good roundup piece about this over at theconversation.com by David Kitchen. Oh, and, and the other one is direct carbon capture, is taking carbon out of the air and ultimately out of the seas as well. The direct carbon capture is the one that is the least likely to produce unanticipated, unexpected side effects. And that's where the federal government just gave uh, a little over a billion dollars, uh, 3.5 actually, billion dollars, to fund a, a couple of projects on direct carbon capture. Right now, it's very expensive. It costs about $600 a ton to extract carbon from the atmosphere. And, you know, your car will produce a ton of carbon every year, more or less. So it's, it's, it can be very expensive to take it out. The problems with things like, you know, spraying aerosols in the air and things is that it's hard to do that planet-wide. I mean, we just don't have enough aerosols, so it would end up being regional. And that has the potential to alter weather patterns in ways that could change our ability to grow food. And, uh, you know, it could also make the weather even weirder. So, you know, nobody's really sure exactly where we go with these things. Um, also, you know, uh, putting mirrors and, and uh, increasing the albedo of our clouds with uh, um, uh, particulate matter, you know, titanium dioxide or, or aluminum particles up in the atmosphere uh, doesn't do anything about the acidification of our oceans, which is killing coral and killing our oceans off as well. So, you know, and, but the, and, and the other geoengineering that, that's actually a good one is planting trees. So just wanted to you know, point that out, put it on your radar screen. Um, this is something that you're going to we're all going to be hearing a lot more about in the coming years, because it's becoming clear that not only are we in a climate crisis, a climate emergency, an extinction crisis, but it's caused by too much carbon in the atmosphere. It was put there by burning fossil fuels. Not only do we have to stop burning fossil fuels, but we've got to start figuring out ways to get that carbon out of the atmosphere and to compensate for the heating that it's producing. Um, and if we don't do that, we're going to be in big trouble in short order. You're listening to the Tom Hartman Program. Back with your calls on the other side of this break. Stay with us. Quoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. VR training platforms like the one developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International are helping surgeons train over and over before operating on real patients. As you practice each skill, the muscle memory starts to develop. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. 
Electric cars facing punitive fees and new restrictions in many states. I, I think there's two things at work here. First of all, uh, this is uh, from Politico uh, by Mike Lee and Adam Alton or Atten. Um, they note they they open the story the story by noting that uh, since 1991, Texas's gas tax is the cheapest in the country, and now it's its EV fees, its electric vehicle fees are among the most expensive. That's no accident, experts and advocates say. A growing number of mostly Republican-led states are adding speed bumps to electric vehicles. From new taxes on drivers using charging stations to limits on how, to, how automakers sell EVs to registration fees that critics call punitive. Texas joins about 30 states to impose registration fees on EVs. Now, this is playing out in two different ways. Uh, and they point out, by the way, that these are falling hardest on low-income people. There's a lot of low-income people right now who are buying inexpensive EVs, and they're out there. You know, you could, you could buy them used, you could buy them new, but, you know, the, the Chevy Bolt, the Nissan Leaf, the Nissan Leaf, I mean, these, these cars are under $30,000. They're, they're inexpensive cars. Used, you can pick them up for, there's still a premium because they're electric vehicles, but it costs so much less to drive them. I mean, I, I have an electric car now, I have an Ionic 5, and it's costing me, I think, around 75 cents a gallon equivalent of gasoline when I, when I charge it at home, and around $2 a gallon gasoline when I charge it at the charging station, which I generally don't do unless it's a long trip. But, but even at that, plus, by the way, when you buy a lot of these new cars, I, I, don't, know if, uh, I don't know which other dealers are doing it, but Hyundai has a deal with uh, uh, Electrify America where you get two, two years of free electricity. You just pull your car up and charge it for two years. Absolutely free, up to, up to an 80% charge. And uh, <laughs> beats buying gas, right? But these fees, you know, oh, you're going to have to pay an extra couple hundred bucks to register it, and you're going to have to pay a fee every time you use the, the charging station, and you're going to have to, yeah, quack, quack, quack. So what we're seeing really is two, two things that are going on. One is that, in some of the red states, the fees are actually punitive. Florida, Texas, these states are, are adding fees and costs specifically to make it harder for average people to buy an electric vehicle or to discourage them from buying electric vehicles. These are states where the Republican politicians are completely owned by fossil fuel billionaires and their, and their huge political network here in the United States. And they're still denying climate change and everything else. So that's, that's one thing that's going on. But the other thing that's going on, and we actually need to have a conversation about this in, in this country, is that our road repairs are paid for with gasoline taxes. Well, how are we going to have functional roads when there's no more gasoline-powered cars? And to that, for example, Oregon now has a fee uh, based on how many miles you drive your electric vehicle every year. It's voluntary at the moment in Oregon. I'm sure that soon it will become involuntary. And, you know, I, I frankly don't object to that. I understand we've got to pay for the roads, and it makes perfect sense that you pay for the roads with, you know, you pay for the damage being done to the roads by the vehicles that do the damage. So the more miles you drive, the more you pay. And, you know, it used to be the more miles you drive, the more gasoline you consume. And so we've got to come up with a new way of doing this. 
But I do think it's really important to note that there are two completely different dynamics here. Some states are trying to figure out how do we keep our roads in repair as we get more and more electric vehicles, which is a perfectly reasonable thing, and every state is going to have to figure out the answer to this. For some, it'll be just put your road repair under the, under the state budget. Take it out of you know, a special budget that has to do with the gas tax and just put it on the regular state, state budget. And the federal government is going to have to deal with this, too because there's a federal gas tax that funds highways as well. That's one way to do it. Another way is the, you know, per mile fee or whatever. I mean, there's just, there's different strategies for doing it. And we've got to figure this out. But the other is that there are Republican states where there are Republican lawmakers who are going out of their way to make it hard, difficult, expensive, uh, cumbersome, clumsy, difficult, you know, jump through a bunch of hoops to buy or own an electric vehicle in those states simply because they're taking money from fossil fuel billionaires. And we need to be pushing back hard on that. And finally, the, the last story I want to share with you, and then I'll pick up your calls, this group that has been filing lawsuits in state after state after state, it's called uh, Our Children's Trust. It's a, it's a legal organization. We've had, in fact, we had one of the people who was their legal advisor, a, a law professor here in Oregon on the program several times back in the day. Um, this group won in Montana. Now, this might be a one-off. They have lost in a bunch of other states, but they have lawsuits pending right now in all 50 states. It involves 16 young men, Montanans, ranging in age from 5 to 22. And the reason that I'm saying it might be a one-off is because Montana's constitution guarantees Montana citizens a right to a clean environment, a clean and healthy environment. And a law was passed in Montana by Republicans some years ago, which makes it illegal for the state to consider climate change when they're making decisions about whether to permit fossil fuel projects. And that was what got struck down in this case, was this law that says that you know, when state permitting agencies are deciding whether to allow a new mine or a new fracking operation or a new uh, you know, whatever it may be, anything having to do with, you know, with fossil fuels, that when they're considering that, they may not think about the impact of climate change. Now, the Republicans in Montana and the fossil fuel barons who own them have come out and said, we're, gonna, we're going to appeal this. Uh, Montana Attorney General Austin Knudsen, who you know, presumably also gets funding from the, uh, from the fossil fuel industry, has decried the ruling as absurd and said that she's going to take it to the state Supreme Court, which is packed with conservatives. So it might get overturned. We'll see. But this is, this is good news. Uh, judge Kathy Seeley was the uh, judge overseeing the case, and she determined that the state's emissions could be fairly traced to the legal provision blocking Montana from reviewing the climate impacts of energy projects. She wrote, this is from the judge's ruling, every additional ton of greenhouse gas emissions exacerbates plaintiff's injuries and risks locking in irreversible climate injuries. Brilliant. Good on you, our children's trust. Erica in Seattle. Hey, Erica, what's on your mind here? I just wanted to pivot back to that terrible situation in Maui and right. the fire. Yeah. 
I just recently read a piece on Democracy Now! about how the Native Hawaiian archive in Maui was completely destroyed. Yes. And to them, that's as important as our national archive here. Yeah, and it went back uh, hundreds of years. I mean, this went back to the old kingdoms of Hawaii. Yeah, and it's awful. And I, I would like to see, other than in alternative news, more mainstream coverage about the Native perspective on what is happening there. And also, there is a connection between overdevelopment, climate change, and this fire. And, you know, I'd like to see more of that mentioned in mainstream news as well. I don't think that's getting enough coverage. I've seen a fairly frequent mention of climate change on MSNBC. It's pretty much the only network when I watch TV that I watch any longer. But, uh, yeah, they've done a really good job of it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I just, there was also a really good coverage about it on also on Democracy Now! about um, Mm. where they interviewed a fire expert that talked about the native vegetation changes that helped fuel the wildfires. Yeah, 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 the the invasive grasses that then dried Mm -hmm. out and became tinder. Yeah, you're right. Erica, thank you. Yeah, spot on. We do do need to be talking about this more. I, I completely agree. I also watch free speech TV, I should add. (laughs) I didn't mean to diss free speech. Oh, my God. I reported that the 16 young Montanans, ranging from 5 to 22 years old, sued Montana and won because the Montana Constitution has a provision in it that says that all Montana citizens, I think they're called Montanans, are entitled to a healthy and safe environment. Now, a lot of state constitutions around the country were amended to say this back in the 70s, you know, when Earth Day and all that, all that stuff came out of the 70s. There was this whole environmental movement, you know, it started in the late 60s with, uh, it really started with uh, Silent Spring, Rachel Carson's uh, book um, in 1966, I think that book was published, uh, or within a year of that. Uh, But by the 70s, it was a big deal. And the lawsuit says that Uh, the state's efforts to promote fossil fuels are a violation of the state's constitution because the state's constitution guarantees a clean and healthful atmosphere and fossil fuels do not produce a clean and healthful atmosphere. If you don't believe me, just go inhale the fumes from 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 the tailpipe of your car for a good five minutes and call me back. Ha ha. Right. You won't be caught, obviously. Um, we, we don't want to be doing this to the planet. So it turns out that although the U.S. Constitution doesn't have, a, these are called green amendments, doesn't have a green amendment, a number of other states do. Back in the 70s, Pennsylvania, Montana, Hawaii, Massachusetts, and Illinois all amended their constitutions to have these green provisions. And since 2022, New York has added a green provision. So currently, And currently, there's a whole bunch of states that are considering green provisions. Now, this lawsuit may cause at least those states that are under Republican control to reconsider these green provisions in their constitution. But so far, these are the states that are that have it in their legislatures right now. Arizona, Connecticut, Iowa, Kentucky, Maine, Nevada, New Jersey, New Mexico, Tennessee, Texas, Vermont, Washington and West Virginia. So I, you know, I see this as positive news, as good news, as a, as a good, positive, progressive step.
Good stuff. Geeky science here for you. Study warns of link between air pollution and antibiotic resistant pathogens. This is absolutely fascinating. Um, they're talking about PM 2.5s, um, which are particulate matter, uh, small, tiny particles that are 2.5 microns or smaller. And if I'm remembering correctly, I think a hair is like six or seven microns wide. So these are little tiny particles, basically so small that you can't see them. And uh, they, they get, you know, they get inhaled and they get deep, stuck deep in your lungs and they can penetrate, the, they can get across the, the, uh, the, the lung tissue barrier and into the bloodstream and then they can, you know, wreak havoc throughout your body. And this is what happens from, you know, air pollution. This is, you know, living near a freeway or living near a bridge or living near, you know, uh, 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 well, these days the problem is living near any place where there's forest fires. Because forest fires create enormous amounts of 2.5, you know, PM 2.5 particles. So this study, which was conducted over an 18-year period, including 116 countries, was just published in a peer-reviewed journal. Uh, it was published, trying to find the name of the journal where it was published. Oh, yeah, here it is, Lancet, you know, the Lancet, the British Medical Journal. Planetary Health Journal, peer-reviewed. And what they find is that there are two worrying trends. The deaths caused by antibiotic resistance increased more than 80% over the last three years. Meanwhile, air pollution is getting worse because of climate change. Now, these PM 2.5 particles have been linked to cancer, to respiratory illness, to cardiovascular disease, even to dementia and depression. And this is where it got really interesting, because what they're saying is that as air pollution goes up, so does multi-drug resistant antibiotics. So does the resistance of antibiotics to, uh, excuse me, of, of uh, bacteria to antibiotic drugs, of pathogens. And why? I, I, and it was the very last paragraph of the article. It says, PM 2.5 has been shown to carry a variety of antibiotic resistant bacteria and antibiotic resistant genes, which are transferred between environments and directly inhaled by humans. That's incredible. I mean, 2.5 microns, little tiny, you can't even see them, but they're still big enough to hold thousands of bacteria, millions of bacteria, presumably. Bacteria are really, really small. So, you know, who knew? Bottom line, you know, wear your mask when it's smoky out. We'll be back. Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows firsthand how VR training platforms like ForgeFX can help meet the demand for skilled workers. Anywhere you go look, there's going to be a shortage of welders. VR training can help welding students learn the skills they need to begin and advance in their career. The beauty of virtual reality is it simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Explore more stories like Alex's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. As you write your life story, you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be Continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. 
Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be continued at scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast. Ken in Portland. Hey, Ken, what's on your mind today? Hi, Tom. Thanks for taking my call. I just wanted to talk about the fires in Hawaii mm-hmm. and you know, talking about Jesus and some people in on Maui describe it as hell. My question with the Hawaiian bushfire is that, um, you know, the day after it happened, or I suppose while it was happening, Tulsi Gabbard from Hawaii, she actually was on Fox News on that late night program. I, I'm just curious because normally you know, Hawaii is sort of known for their ecological management. And so the fact that they had a giant bush fire on Hawaii is, is quite odd because normally Hawaiian bush is sort of well-managed. And I was wondering if you think that, you know, maybe Tulsi Gabbard and other Hawaiian politicians are to blame for, you know, I mean, not keeping their Hawaiian bush trimmed nice and neat. Um, That's not the problem. The problem uh, is not with Tulsi Gabbard, although she is problematic. (laughs) The problem is that you've got a handful of large oil companies in the United States that 50 years ago knew that their product was going to lead to global warming, which would lead to wildfires, among other things. And they spent hundreds of millions of dollars over decades lying to us, funding climate denial groups you know, like Mark Morano's group and some of these others, and buying off politicians, uh, mostly Republicans. They bought off a few Democrats along the way in order to not do anything about it. And so here we are. I mean, Jimmy Carter back in the day tried to do something about this. Damn near did. He's, he, you know, he started this program. It would have had a solar bank where 20% of America's electricity would have been from solar power by the year 2000. That was 23 years ago. Uh, you know, we, we're not even at 20% now. We're, you know, we're, we're, we're you know, and uh, all because these oil companies, these fossil fuel companies, but in particular the oil companies, the most powerful of the fossil fuel companies, came along and just you know, took advantage of the Supreme Court, uh, the Republicans on the Supreme Court legalizing political bribery and started bribing people left and right. That's the problem. Uh, Justin from Hawaii called in. He lives on Maui. In fact, he teaches at a school that burned down in that town, Lanai or whatever it is. And he said that he was just a few weeks ago, if you didn't catch the phone call, he said just a couple of weeks ago, he was mentioning to the principal of the school that the fields and vegetation around the town and around the school that are normally green and lush and therefore, you know, wouldn't have a problem if there was a wildfire are all yellow now because it's been five years since they've had normal rainfall in Maui. And so everything's dried out. I mean, we've got the same problem here in Oregon. We're, we're under, you know, fire alert. In fact, there's a huge fire, you know, 30, 40,000 acres. It's burning right now here in Oregon. Again, this is the result of climate change. This is not the result of poor forest management. So that's, that's the story. Ken, thanks for the call. Brian in Albuquerque, New Mexico. Hey, Brian, what's on your mind today? Hey, uh, good afternoon. You had a caller when Brokana was on, and she brought up the fact that property insurance rates are skyrocketing in Florida, and she can't afford to pay it. And I wanted to point out, you know, Florida's a huge problem in many ways. And, you know, I have a friend I grew up with, know my home life. He's a conservative Republican. He hates paying taxes. So, of course, he's retired to Florida. And he made a good buck. And so he's got a house down close to the water. 
And now he's yelling and screaming because his property taxes or, or his homeowner's insurance is skyrocketing. All right, you've got four and insurers said, hey, who have gone bankrupt in the last year and two, two or three that have left the state. Right. And so what we're doing is these same people that don't want to pay taxes, they want to be subsidized by the federal taxpayers to cover their risks for living down by the ocean. Right. And they're also generally the people, the Republicans who are denying climate change. You know, right. Which is the so added wealthy irony. people that don't want to pay taxes that want the federal government to subsidize their homeowners insurance because they chose that they want to live down in ground zero for Hurricane Alley. Right. And uh, I was watching a long term weather forecast. Uh, there's been a major change in the weather as far as upper level winds and the Gulf of Mexico is warmer than ever. And it's like a bomb waiting to go off as far as hurricanes go. Yep. Right. But I think we need to watch all these conservative states where they're occupied by people that do not want to pay any state income taxes. But on the other hand, they want the federal government to bail them out all the time when yeah. a storm comes through. Yeah. And we need to start figuring out how are we going to move people away from the coasts? I think it's stupid to, you know, keep moving people back into the same area after a storm wipes about. And especially people that can't afford to live there anyway. I mean, we have a lot of impoverished people living in poor neighborhoods, like, say, New Orleans. They can't afford to get out of the way of a storm. But yet, after a storm comes through, we're supposed to rehabilitate their neighborhood to have moved right back into those neighborhoods. So when the next storm comes through, the same problem repeats itself. This is going to become a huge conversation, Brian, over time. Uh, Because, you know, people don't want to leave the place where they grew up or where they lived where they have friends and neighbors and roots. Uh, on the other hand, you're right. absolutely right. You know, sea levels are rising and the storms are getting more ferocious. And, and it's not, by the way, just on the seacoasts. I mean, look at what's happening across the, the South and the Midwest with, with uh, Derecos. I mean, we didn't even, I didn't even know what a Dereco was 10 years ago. You know, these are literally mile-long hurricanes, or, or tornadoes, rather. Um, these, you know, massive windstorms. Um, you've got these bomb cyclones that we didn't have 20 years ago where, where you know, you get uh, below freezing temperatures for, you know, multiple days in a row uh, in Texas. Um, you've got uh, the heat domes. We just, uh, today it's going to get up to 90 here in Portland, but we just passed, we just had two or three days of 105, 106 degree weather here. We had 116 degree weather for three days two years ago. This is, and, you know, we're not on the coast. We're 100 miles inland here. Um, this is this is the new reality, and 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 uh, America is going to have to come to terms with it. The insurance industry is having a, is in a crisis right now as a result of this, and this and we're just at right. the and very very beginning of it. By the way, it's got to get worse. It's yep. before it gets better. It's yeah. got to get worse. Yeah, the end of the atmosphere is. is extremely energized. It's carrying a lot more moisture, yep. and this is going to be the norm. So. Yep. I think we need to start having a serious conversation about why we let people move into hazardous areas and floodplains. You know, we got to get people away from the coast. If you can't afford the insurance, you can't afford to live there. I mean, that's bottom line. And that's, that's going to be the bottom line because, you know, we are a, a, a so-called free market country. I mean, you know, it's a, the, the market dynamics are going to determine an awful lot of stuff going forward. Brian, uh, thanks for the call. Good point. Excellent point. Grant in Everett, Washington. Hey, Grant, what's on your mind today? Good day. I wanted to share with everyone uh, that in Butte County, California, in the watershed where Paradise is, uh, there was just a levee break that so 
tilted Butte Creek, uh, which is one of the last uh, homes or protected areas for the endangered spring run salmon that have to uh, go into the cooler pools uh, throughout the summer uh, and wait until the fall uh, so that they can spawn. Mm-hmm. Uh, and during the absolute low water, um, uh, the levee break has silted that uh, entire creek. So the salmon are toast. Share because it's not really getting, yeah, there's... Yeah. Uh, oh, that's grim. Will be and uh, much, uh, oh, we'll say fish kill, yeah. you know, uh, a mass killing of uh, an endangered species uh, that we're trying to uh, bring back from the edge. Yeah, we're seeing we're seeing the same sort of thing happening up here in the Pacific Northwest. A lot of these rivers and streams that were, uh, you know, salmon habitats, um, not just because of the dams and things, but because of the the warming of the water have become inhospitable to the spawning salmon or the young salmon. And uh, uh, it's the over-nitration from people's lawns. You know, yep. All the little that too. pieces of the puzzle add up. Uh, yep. Either we can add them up to a beautiful picture or we can take them uh, and throw them away so that we have just a patchwork of what used to be and maybe not even that. You're absolutely right. And not only that, this is going to affect the, f- the health of the forest. Stuart, Stuart Pym was on this program maybe five, six years ago, the, the famous biologist. And he was talking about how um, tree, many of the trees that live in the forests in the Pacific Northwest are species of trees that require iodine to grow. Uh, but there is no iodine in the Pacific Northwest. And the way that they get this iodine is that the bears eat the salmon out of the river and then poop in the woods. The salmon bring the iodine up from the ocean and then the, you know, and then gets cycled through the bear poop into the soil. And then that's the iodine source for the trees. And so if you kill off the salmon, the bears aren't eating salmon, they're not pooping iodine into the woods, and the trees start getting rust. They, they, the trees get weak and they start, start getting fungal diseases and then they die off and now you've got you know, tinder, you've got another wildfire. So it's like this is, this is the importance of understanding that everything is part of something else, you know, that everything is connected. This, the web of life is a web of life. It's not you know, little standalone you know, uh, islands of life. So. Excellent point. And, and, and I put that uh, it's kind of our responsibility for the stewardship, uh, which also puts in place the need for the uh, um, maintenance of uh, many aging uh, facilities, be it uh, our electrical grid or be it the uh, where we take water from the rivers and how yeah. much they're considering. Yeah. Uh, no, I'm, I'm uh, with you. And, and our hydro systems, and our hydro systems as well. Grant, excellent point. Thank you. Uh, David in North Miami Beach, Florida. Hey, David, what's up? Hey, y'all. Greeting Chicago and beyond. Yes, uh, part of my run for mayor here, uh, if we're going to be at the mercy of the Jared Kushners of the world and the MBS, then in the short term, I have figured out a way for us to get a universal basic income, but ultimately it's about getting our Fifth Amendment rights to life and liberty. I mean, we have how many homeless and semi-homeless and how many empty apartments and office buildings? So ultimately, we might have to use the AOC concept of housing vouchers and food vouchers 
as more work is automated, outsourced. I mean, there needs to be a new movie called 187, uh, not as the code for homicide. That's how little an hour you can make uh, yeah. delivering food because uh, I know you want to see the factories. I'm afraid the factories, when they make a comeback, will be like the Twilight Zone episode where it's a robot holding a pocket watch yeah. in an empty cafeteria with no workers. Yeah, no, I, I, I get that, David. And, and you know, uh, we one of the things that, you know, as productivity goes up from robotics, uh, corporate profits go up and corporate taxes should be going up and that money should be then recycled back to people through a universal basic income. And I'm going to get into that because you're absolutely right. David, thank you for the call. We'll be back with more of your calls in just a moment. Uh, helping you win the water cooler wars. Tom Harbin here. We'll be right back. Franz in uh, Trumansburg, New York. Hey, Franz, what's on your mind today? I've been following climate change since the early 80s, and I really sense a need, uh, certainly in myself, but uh, among the listeners as well, to be hopeful about it. And it's looking so bad. But that's why I'm, like, calling every week to promote this form of geoengineering, which gives me hope which is this project called MIR, which stands for Mirrors for Energy, Earth Energy Rebalancing. It's M-E-E-R dot org. And it's really, really simple. It's really just putting mirrors on rooftops and in farm fields. And You'd pretty much have to have flat roofs, wouldn't you? No, you don't. I mean, if you put it on a slanted roof, you're, you're just shooting the radiation off at a diagonal where it's going to, you know, hit a well, thicker layer of the, uh, of the stratosphere and bounce right back down to Earth. This time there's a couple items in the news which are relevant. Okay. Uh, at the end of last week, I, I don't know if you saw it, the Energy Department awarded $1.2 billion to a company called Climeworks for direct air capture. Yeah, I saw that. Um, you know, there's yeah. it's it's kind of mixed news because there's a whole bunch of environmentalists who are like, eh, this is a scam that the fossil fuel industry is using to say we can continue to pollute the atmosphere because, hey, we can pull that carbon back out eventually. On the other hand, you know, new technologies very often don't seem to work. I mean, you know, the, uh, you just have no idea where they're going to go. I, I remember when the first transistor, the CK722, came out, and I, I bought one. I was 13 years old, made a little oscillator with it. Um, and nobody imagined that one day, you know, you'd have 5 million transistors or 50 million transistors. I don't know how many in, like, an iPhone. I mean, you know, it's like you just don't know where sure. technology is going to go. But um, it's, I mean, it seems to me it's too soon uh, to be scaling up that, that technology. Yeah. Um, and the other part piece of that news is, for me, the very next day, I saw a TED Talk by Al Gore where he just really just trashed not only, you know, the, the fossil fuel 
companies and executives and the petrostate leaders, uh, but also trash specifically direct air capture technology as a dead-end technology as it stands now. Um, there are much better forms of it. There's, like, regenerative agriculture. Yep. There's kelp farming. And like you mentioned uh, also last week, the iron filings yeah. on the ocean. Yep. Now, and part of my point in, in, in calling obsessively about this topic is I believe that we – as voters need to be informed and understand the nuance because there are good approaches and there are bad approaches. Like the iron filings, a couple of years ago, I saw an interview with someone who I'm sure is doing great work in Southeast Asia, humanitarian work related to climate change, who was just completely dissing uh, that idea of of spreading iron filings to get mm. the algae growth and, and, and suck out the carbon dioxide. Well, you just you, nev- you never know idea, what the what the what the consequences are going to be. I mean, it, it might disrupt right, fish but, habitats, for example. Yeah, and I think that's that's that is an appropriate concern. But just broad brushing all geoengineering um, because it is geoengineering, I think, is a big mistake. I agree, and especially in the context of really we've been geoengineering for thousands of years. You bet. And we geo, we, we geoengineering. That was the agricultural revolution. That was geoengineering. Yeah. Building a road, putting a road down is geoengineering. Yeah. yeah building a city is geoengineering. These are all heat sinks. They're all absorbing and re-radiating, absorbing, absorbing light and re-radiating yeah. That's why I would suggest you actually have Dr. Talon, the person who's starting the project, or I shouldn't say starting because it's actually been going ongoing for several years. But I think it varies depending on what. So to, to compensate for the equivalent of four Hiroshima, Hiroshima bombs going off uh, every, what is it, every minute, I, th- I believe it is. Um, now, in terms of you know heat, extra heat that's being captured in the atmosphere to compensate for all that carbon in the atmosphere, how many square miles would have to be covered with mirrors, and also to compensate for the hundreds of thousands of square miles in the Arctic that are now open, that are no longer reflective white, that are now dark ocean. I actually don't know the square miles, but I do know the percentage of uh, the Earth that needs to be covered. It's in the range of one to two percent. That's a hell of um, a lot actually, of. It, that's a hell of a lot of it land. Is. It is, but um, according to Dr. Tao, uh, you could do this on farmland, and it would be about twenty percent of farmland, and it would actually increase crop yields because most crops have more sunlight than they need, and what they would actually benefit more from is the shade and cooling the soil, which would also keep uh, moisture in the soil, which is also a big part of what involves climate change. Now, I've seen seen that argument made for putting solar panels in in farms, in in fields. It's very similar. Yeah. But the difference is that solar panel, although, of course, it has the benefit of generating energy. Right. um, And replacing fossil fuel energy. Yeah, but... It um, it's dark, so it actually converts sunlight to heat. Uh, whereas a mirror, um, because it reflects 
the, the sunlight as light back out into space, it doesn't convert it to heat because that's, yeah. that's where we run into trouble. Franz, thanks a lot. Thanks for the information. Finally, the alternative energy future is arriving sooner than advertised, writes Critical Mind over on Daily Kos. America represents, you know, roughly a quarter of the world's economy, maybe a little less, depending on how you calculate it. And worldwide, this year, we're expecting a $1 trillion investment in fossil fuels, but a $1.7 trillion investment in uh, renewable energy. A third of new, uh, energy generated in Britain is renewable. 23% of energy in the United States is expected to be renewable this year. 23%. A decade ago, it was only 10%. Two-thirds of the new investment in clean energy right now, the, most of it coming out of the Inflation Reduction Act, is going into red states, into Republican-controlled states. Tulsa, Oklahoma, the oil capital of the world, the public service company of Oklahoma generates 28% of its power from wind. An electric vehicle startup is building a 10,000-square-foot battery factory in Oklahoma City. Houston, 500 oil and gas companies, 130 alternative energy companies. It's here, my friends. You're listening to the Tom Hartman Program. Of course, the oil companies seem to be just backing away from, from green energy. They're tripling down on poisoning the planet. David in Canterbury, Connecticut. Hey, David, what's on your mind today? Hi, Tom. Thanks for taking my call. Recently in May, the, the, the legislature in the state of New York passed the Build Public Renewables Act. A lot of people don't know this because the billionaire press just doesn't, they don't put it out there. Mm-hmm. And this, is, this has a lot to do with the Inflation Reduction Act, Tom. And progressives and union people have been pushing this in New York for, for a couple of years now, and they finally won. And what this is all about is is that they force Kathy Yokel to either build or burn. 20% of uh, energy in the state of New York is now going to be public renewable energy. Mm-hmm. And, and this, is how it's, this is how it segues with, uh, with Roosevelt. Uh, we know throughout history the electrification of America became a, a public thing. And again, this is going to become public. And in the, like I said, in the Inflation Reduction Act, which mo- I talk to people, they don't even know this, Tom. Yeah. And it's not, it's not readily available in the news. And, and why they, and this is a fine example of why they don't talk about anything at, yeah. at the Democrats. So this is happening time. in New York State. And that's great. That's yes. great. David, thank you. Thanks for the tip on that. I appreciate it. Uh, Mark in Valley, Washington. Hey, Mark, what's on your mind today? Well, Tom, correct me if I'm wrong, but does not the Constitution guarantee every American citizen the right to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness? No. The Declaration of Independence proclaims that nature's God intended that, but it was never put into law. The Declaration is not a legal document. It's a, it's a proclamation of a rebellion. Okay. Because my, my going off of that Montana success for suing for their environment, mm-hmm. I was thinking maybe we could have a, class, a national class action lawsuit against the fossil fuel company for denying us a world. I, you know, I'm with you, Mark, and there are some lawsuits to that effect, and I, I would like to see more of them, and I would like to see great success on their part. The Montana case worked because back in the 70s when Earth Day and uh, you know, all that stuff was happening, 
Half a dozen states amended their constitutions. There were all these citizen, you know, kind of ballot initiatives. Uh, these were all ballot initiative states. Uh, amended their constitutions to say that uh, a, a healthy environment was a right that was guaranteed to the citizens of those states, including Montana. And so when these young people in Montana sued, they said the, the basis of their lawsuit was that uh, specifically a Montana law that the Republican Montana legislature passed a few years back that essentially made it illegal for the state to consider climate change when deciding whether or not to issue permits to new fossil fuel operations, whether it was drilling or refining or whatever, that that law was a violation of the state constitution because by not considering climate change, they were not considering that healthy environment that the constitution guarantees. And but, of course the state now says that they're going to appeal this to the Supreme Court, or actually first they'll appeal it to the state appeals court and then to a state Supreme Court, and then if they lose it, all of those, they'll appeal it to the U.S. Supreme Court. But um, so Our Children's Trust has, uh, has similar lawsuits going in all 50 states right now, and or the other 49 states. And there's, like I said, I, I think six or seven states whose constitutions have the same kind of green language that the Montana Constitution does. So this ain't over, Mark. Couldn't you base a national class action lawsuit off the fact that the fossil fuel companies, at least the major oil companies, we know for a fact, knew at least by the 80s what they were doing. So they yes. purposely, to make profit, caused me and millions of other people harm. Yeah. And th this was the basis of the tobacco lawsuits that ended up costing the tobacco industry hundreds of millions of dollars, maybe billions. Um, and, and, I, and there are lawsuits along those lines that have been filed. So you know, stay tuned. But, but I'm talking uh, about one national class Right. There, there is not a national, I mean, there's not a provision in our Constitution that guarantees a clean environment. And to the best of my knowledge, there's no laws that do that. But, you know, generally speaking, I'm, I'm completely with you. I, I think that this... Could I, it be done? I think, yeah, I think it can be done. You know, it's just going to be a matter of getting somebody to do it. Mark, thanks for the call. Rick in Sydney, New York. Hey, Rick, thanks for watching us on Free Speech TV. What's on your mind today? I don't know if you've noticed or not, but the planet's got some problems. Mm -hmm. uh, appears like the climate is changing, and thankfully we've got some Republicans that are uh, on top of it. Uh, I'm talking mainly uh, Kevin McCarthy, and uh, anyway, he's got this solution: planting a tr trillion trees. Okay, right. And he doesn't and want to pay for it, though. <laughs> no. <laughs> so if each tree takes up ten foot by ten foot space, which isn't a very big tree, okay. It would take every square foot of the United States to handle a trillion trees. That's right. And we'd okay. have to get rid of all the buildings first. All, all the buildings, okay, the fill in the lakes. Yep. I don't know what we're going to do with the places that the trees are already growing or above the tree line yep. in the Rockies. Yep. Uh, we'll just have to also, dig them out and replace them. <laughs> if, we could, if we could figure out some way to, to <laughs> plant one tree every second, it would only take... 31,700 years. Yeah. To, uh, yeah. These people are trees. bat guano crazy. Even to suggest this. this. This idiot's in charge. Yeah. So, yeah. I, you know, I, I'm with you. I'm with you. It's unbelievable. It's nuts. Uh, okay, Rick. Thanks. Anyway, I just, I just wanted to throw those numbers at you. Yeah. I got uh, it. I hope, you, I got I hope it. you and Louise have a good day. Thank you. You too.
We'll be back with more of the news and more of my thoughts and yours in this uh, kind of national town hall meeting we have here every day on the Tom Hartman program. And in the meantime, don't forget, democracy is not a spectator sport. Never was intended to be. It requires you. So get out there, get active, tag, you're it. You've been listening to Tom Hartman. For audio and video archives, visit TomHartman.com. 